So uh, you've already heard from Dean this morning, and you heard him uh, bring our lesson several weeks ago when he was here, and many of you got to meet him personally. But we wanted to take just a second to more formally or officially welcome him and uh, his son Luke here this morning. Where is Luke, by the way? Is he? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> they got in yesterday, and uh, as uh, John indicated, Melanie and, and your older son, is it David, right? Will be coming uh, later on in the month following the moving van. And, and so they've still got a lot of stress in their, in their life ahead of them in the next few weeks, but... They've had a lot of stress the last few weeks, and I told Dean last week that I thought that the events of the last few weeks just tended to kind of ratify what we already believed, and that's that we had made a good decision in inviting them to be here to walk with us in our Christian journey, because it seems obvious that Satan is throwing every, every obstacle up he can to keep, keep y'all from getting here, and so we're delighted you're here. Um, I said this in first service, Dean is a very gifted communicator, and he has very impressive um, education credentials. But what really drew the elders to him was not what he does on Sunday morning, it's what he does the rest of the week. He is all about making disciples. And uh, we believe that Dean is, is uh, most uniquely qualified to help us help people find hope and live with purpose. And we are delighted that uh, you're here with us today, and we look forward to living life together and walking this journey. And I'm going to ask Brian to lead us in a prayer over you. Father, thank you so much for getting Dean down here, both Dean and Luke. Lord, it's uh, so many things have gotten in the way. He's here. Lord, we thank you for it. And I know he hates being apart from his family. And we lift up Melanie and David. Lord, I pray that you get the illness out and, uh, Lord, uh, comfort them. And uh, I pray, Lord, that this move goes smoothly and you get both of them down here so they can be together as a family and serve together. And, uh, Lord, it's, it's a new city, new people, new culture. And, and Lord, I, through it all, I ask that you fill them with your peace and your calm and Lord, uh, for Dean, I, for the work here, I, I pray as I know he's praying that you empty him of Dean Barham. Lord, fill him with yourself. Fill him with your spirit for the work ahead. And Lord, we thank you for it, for all of them, for Melanie, David, and Luke, that you fill them with your joy as they serve. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Man, it's good to say that. <laughs> I, I just quickly want to say thank you so much for your incredible patience. Uh, this, this is like a, a dear, dear friend of mine in a discipleship group, and his wife um, labored for over 24 hours before she finally gave uh, natural birth. And I'm like, I'm not comparing that, but this feels like <laughs> a birthing process to get here. I appreciate your patience. Special appreciation to Kelly who was so looking forward to not preaching last week and then had to preach again. And, and I say, you know, John talked about this. I've, I've told so many people, we can laugh now, but I, I literally feel like we were living a country music song for a while. I mean, we, we had deaths and family, you know that, and then eight inches of snow. By the way, it is six to ten inches now, 
as our pod is trying to get filled up and all that, um, that's going on. You've heard all that. Then everybody got COVID. In the middle of all that, literally our family pet died in our, you know, on the way to the vet. I mean, I'm not trying to like be sad. It's just like this is how all this crazy stuff's happening. Today is my wife's birthday. I don't know where the camera is. I love you, sweetheart. I'm sorry. You know, so all this stuff's going on. Now, here's the thing. Like, I'm doing right now, I shared with other people, say, I, I, I'm doing right now what you're not supposed to do when you're speaking. You come up with, like, boldness and confidence and everything's put together. I'm admitting to you I'm a mess. I'm a wreck. Physically, emotionally, I'm so excited to be here, and I'm a mess. And, and, I, and I thought, you know, I feel like God is just shouting at me to say, that's the perfect way to start. Because I want you to know this with all of my heart. Every week I stand here, a mess. And I don't have it all together. And I don't have it all worked out. And I don't have it all figured out. And isn't that glorious that we have a church? One of the reasons I came here is you don't have to. That doesn't mean you do what you want. Like, there's a reason. There's a cross in the story. And so it's not just, thank you for letting me come to be a wreck. But also, come as you are. You can be confident to come just the way you are. And man, you can be confident. This is a place where you can bring people. Just please tell them. My preacher is jacked. Just tell him that. He's broken. He's messed up. So come on. You can come and just join the rest of it. Come, come on, right? Come as you are. Here's, here's the thing that also hit me too. I was thinking about this. Um, there's this uh, little story in, in the Gospels. This is my paraphrase of it. Little kid has five biscuits and two sardines <laughs> and hands them to Jesus. And Jesus feeds a multitude. One of the first things my campus minister taught me when I was in college, we were going to uh, uh, some event where he was speaking. I was just kind of watching him. The way you guys learn, you watch, you do, and all that kind of thing. And I said, are you nervous? You, you, you don't look like you were totally ready. He said, I'll never forget this. He said, I'm going to give what I have. So here's my promise to church. I'm not going to have it all together. I'm broken and messed up. But every week, I'm going to give you what I have. It's a couple biscuits, a couple sardines, but in the hands of Jesus, I hope he feeds all of us. He's the one, not me. And that's probably exactly the place I needed to start. So again, thank you for being the church that I feel comfortable just being real and not all put together. I want to begin um, just by reading the text just so you can know about me. Here's, here's the way I roll. It's not some magic thing. You know, after we welcome and greet and all that, the first thing you will ever hear from me is the text that we will speak on. It'll be one text of scripture usually, and we're going to live in that. That way, no matter how bad I am, you've heard the word of God first. I mean that. And so that's how we're starting. Exodus chapter 3, this classic text of scripture. Let's hear it afresh in the beginning of a new year, beginning of the 101st year of this church's existence. Let's hear this text. Exodus 3 verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing it's holy ground. And then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. 
God, I pray as the psalmist did so long ago, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We, call, we all come to anything new full of expectations, don't we? Anything new. We are loaded up with expectations we bring to any new time or season or experience or place. I'm just thinking, I do this every year. The beginning of it, it's just the flipping of the calendar. But every new year, I bring into it all sorts of hopes and dreams and expectations for the year, right? And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about the messages that I shared at this time last year. You too, Kelly and Greg. I was thinking about this, like, what did we say last year? Like, I literally said the same thing. Kelly, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I try to be an over-preparer, and so my goal was to hear every sermon that was preached in this church last year. A couple things came up, so I only got about 65, 75% of it. You're great. You're good, man. But I heard the opening, did this great series on, on more. You remember that? Greg started with more. And he, this time, this place last year, he said, man, I am so glad that 2020 is over. 2021 is going to be so much better, right? And for some people, it might have been. For us, it has not been. But, you know, but... It, Think about that. We bring these great expectations at the beginning of the new year. And we'll do it with places or experiences too. You ever thought about a place, a new place you're going, a new experience? I remember the first time we moved to Texas 20 years ago now. Moved to Lubbock. And we came in and, and we, we came in to start, as, worked as campus minister there. Started in August and um, we're getting rolling. And then we came up to the holidays and we realized we're not going to drive all the way back. All the families in Virginia, we were not going to drive all the way back to Virginia, both Thanksgiving and Christmas. It was the first time in our family we were going to do Thanksgiving just with us. I thought, what are we going to do? And I thought, um, I don't know. I keep hearing this thing. I literally want to do what, what good Texan friends taught me I need to do. If you're going to live in Texas, if you're going to be a Texan, there's a certain place everybody has to go. Got to make a pilgrimage if you live in Texas. Anybody know where that is? The Alamo, you better believe it. I'm like, okay, hey, we're, we're going to, I've never been to San Antonio before, love the Spurs, let's, you know, let's go down to San Antonio, having no idea that they do some pretty cool stuff in Thanksgiving. So we get down there, Santa's like on the river walk, and it, man, this is great, but we've got to make our pilgrimage. And so we go up and we're going to go to the Alamo. And how many times have you heard a first time visitor to the Alamo say something like this? I couldn't find it. <laughs> Where is it? Like, I'm expecting this enormous, like, where is this thing? It's like sacred, hallowed ground in Texas, is it not? Oh, I'm not making it up. These are the words from the actual website of the uh, official Alamo website. Stand in awe of the shrine of Texas Liberty. I love Texas. I love you back here. Stand in awe of the shrine of Texas Liberty. So I wanted to do that. But here's the thing. If you talk to almost any first-time visitor... They almost miss it sometimes. Why? Because we come to places full of expectations. And sometimes the expectations we have and we carry with us make it hard for us to see what's actually there. Does that make sense? And see, here's the thing for me. Um, In these moments, these times, um, when we carry these expectations into it, the problem with our expectations is life shows up, doesn't it? You got a picture of the path that you want to go on. Here's the road I want to take. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. He said, walk me through the scenarios of what you wanted to happen. I got down to plan F of where we are to get here, right? And you guys have had times and seasons like that, right? Life interrupts our plans 
and our expectations takes us in a far different way than we ever intended to be. But here's the thing. It's like that with God, too. It's like that with God, too. Do you do this? As we're followers of Jesus, we don't just come into the year with general expectations. I come to God with expectations for a new year. I come to God with an expectation about what God is supposed to do, what would be best in our lives, what would be best in our church. Can you imagine all the time coming to a new place? Man, I got all these expectations. I want to bring them to God. But here's, here's the problem. Sometimes God actually shows up too. God will show up and, and will turn and move and go in different ways than we expected. Here's the thing. The God who actually shows up in the world may be very, very different than the God of your expectations. And I think there's something in this story that might help our mindset for the entire year if we go there. So the first thing that I see that I notice in here that I love, it's powerful to me, not just that God shows up, but where God shows up. Where does he show up here? It's an Alamo-like place. What do I mean by that? Let's look at a couple of details in the story. First of all, where does God show up and have his mighty presence come? He shows up in a bush. Not an Egyptian temple, right? Where, where Moses spent probably 40 years of his life. That was sacred space for him as a child. God doesn't show up there. He shows up in a bush. Not a, a massive oak tree or something that people would use to build cities or, or, or palaces or whatever. God shows up in a bush. Uh, the second place he shows up is, is a place called Horeb. Maybe you haven't heard it described that much. You should probably have heard it more by a different name. It's called Horeb here. Here's the way I like to, to describe it to people. In the, in the Old Testament, they had a civil war too. And you got Yankees and Southerners there. And, and the Yankees called this particular place Horeb. The folks in the north of Israel called it Horeb. You know what? The southerners, good old southerners, we, we know southern better. The southerners called it, does anybody know what it is? Sinai. Now, it doesn't feel that way yet, but this is going to be what the text tells us, the mountain of God. It certainly doesn't feel that way. It's Horeb. Now, here's what's powerful. The northerners got it right for that moment because you know what the word Horeb means in Hebrew? desolate wasteland. Here's the picture I get. This is the Alamo in 1793, not in 1836 when it becomes sacred hallowed ground. In 1793, they abandoned the whole thing. Started as a mission, an evangelistic opportunity. They abandoned it. They left it. It was a desolate wasteland. That's where Moses shows up at Horeb, not Sinai yet. It's Horeb. God shows up in a bush in a desolate wasteland. And my favorite one, you, there's only one translation of the major translations that captures this in the Hebrew. By the way, I'm not like some great scholar. I have really good Bible software, just so you know. So I, that's how I know Hebrew. I got Greek a little bit, but I, Hebrew tells us, here's what it says. New RSV, good translation. Beyond the wilderness. Do you get that? God shows up in a bush, desolate wasteland, beyond the wilderness. Like we talked the first time I was here about in the middle of nowhere. He's beyond nowhere. <laughs> He's on the other side of the wilderness. He is at a place that couldn't be more insignificant and meaningless. Where does God show up when he shows up in the world with Moses? In a bush, in a desolate wasteland, on the other side of nowhere. Now, why, why is that significant to me? It's not the way I would have done it. Would you? Like, if God's going to make a big, powerful, you know, appearance... 
Wouldn't it be better outside of that Egyptian temple? Would that be a great place? Couldn't you picture this? That after 80 years of kind of being in exile and not really living out his mission, he brings Moses back. Moses stands in front of the temple, flanked by angels with swords of fire. Wouldn't that be awesome? By the way, don't say God never does that. Sometimes he does things like that. It's a weird story. It's an obscure story, but it's a great one. Go look in 1 Samuel. And there's the story where the Philistines captured the ark and they put it in their temple. And Dagon is their God and they've got a big uh, statue of him. Do you know what happens? Go read the story. It's awesome. The Bible's hilarious sometimes. They put him in there. Ark of God is there. And you know what happens to Dagon's idol? Keeps falling down. And so they put him up the next day and the priests come in there. They put him up and he falls down. He falls down. Literally, Dagon is bowing to God. It's awesome. That's an appearance. Why not do that? Why not show up in that way? But God instead shows up in a bush in a desolate wasteland beyond nowhere. And isn't that just like God? God loves to show up in ordinary, insignificant places. Can I share one with you? I love that when I shared this before, people shared their place with me. Can you put that up there for me, Joel? called Pinkerton Park. Now, this isn't desolate wasteland. It's beautiful, but trust me, it is an ordinary, ordinary place in Franklin, Tennessee. I mean, it is not the most famous. It is not the most traveled. It's not the most well-known. It's just a park. There's a playground there, some paths and things like that. I'm telling you, it's sacred space to me. You see on the bottom left is, is a little bridge they built that goes up to the area uh, known as Fort Granger. It's where part of the, one of the last battles of the Civil War was fought up in that area. And... Um, and on Sabbaths for me, just so you know my rhythm right now, Kelly, you'll help me work this out and, and, and staff what the rhythm is of other folks. I try to be on Sabbath on Friday. I'm not, that's not my day off. It's, I try to be on Sabbath. Brian caught me one day. You remember that? You caught me. So you're not supposed to be talking to me on Friday. So I love you. If the ox falls in the ditch, I'm there. But for the most part, Friday, I'm, I'm, I'm with God and I'm with my family, kids, praying and playing. That's, that's my Sabbath rhythm. But this is my place. And so I got that. I'm not a big journaler, but my daughter gave me this incredible, really cool leather journal. And so a lot of times I'll go out there and I just walk. And then, and, and God will, I'll see things or I'll jot things down. I can't draw to save my life. I'll draw some things in there. Because she heard. So that, that's sacred space to me there. And the top left is, it's a, that is a desolate place. It's an old railroad bridge. And if you could see a little closer in that little concrete part over there, there's graffiti on it. There's broken beer bottles and old cigarette butts. It's, just, it's a desolate place. Sometime I'll tell you the, the, the fuller story of this. And one of the most treasured moments of my life with my wife just standing for a moment on that bridge. And, and then there's this path. It's just a path there. It's an asphalt-covered path walking through Pinkerton Park. But once a month... Me and my friend Ken would go for a walk about five miles. We'd just walk. We'll talk about Jesus, talk about God. I'm telling you, God shows up in ordinary places. Do you know, and I mean this with all sincerity, all of my heart, the fact that I'm standing here started right there on that path. Because long before I knew it was you, God was calling me to something, and Ken helped me walk that out on that path. God doesn't just show up in church buildings and cathedrals and chapels. He shows up in ordinary places. This one's beautiful, but it's ordinary. Some are absolutely desolate. And then the last month, God showed up in a really desolate place. It's a room like this. It's a hospital room like this. Just a little over a month ago, my wife's mother went on to be with Jesus. After battling, she beat cancer. 
She beat 10,000 things. She was like 98 pounds and got COVID and beat it. She was out of the hospital in like three or four days. I was out in 13, the first go around. I got it twice. So we thought when we walked into that hospital room a month ago, we're just going to walk back and, and mom's going to come with us. Didn't happen. It's a desolate place surrounded by death. But I'm telling you in the midst of all of that that I grieve, God showed up. My father-in-law and I saw in that man the way a man ought to love his wife in the last moments. Never let her hand go. The words he said over her, I will remember for the rest of my life. And I'm sitting next to him. My wife's over there. And what he spoke about his daughter and my bride, I will treasure. Listen, in that room, I was transformed by the man I saw in that desolate place. God shows up in the desolate, broken, outdoor places. So here's the question. As you go into 2022, are you open to God showing up in your ordinary place? Are you open to, to saying, God, what, what are you saying? Are you going to have the curiosity of Moses who said, like, you know, I could do this thing, but you've heard those sermons enough. Like, how long was the bush burning, right? God didn't talk to him until he went over there. So are you willing to say, okay, there's a fire going on over there because I'm going to look in the ordinary places, not just in the places we expect. Here's something I can promise you with all of my being. God will show up in your life in a very personal and powerful way in 2022. I can promise you that. Here's the only question. Are you going to have enough curiosity and openness to say, all right, God, I'm going to see what you're doing. And all that. It's not just that God shows up. It's where God shows up that's so powerful to me. And then, and then the thing that I love here, let's, let's learn something from Moses in terms of what he does in the moment. Here's a way to think about it. Follow his eyes. I know you've heard this story a thousand times, but what, what this story centers on is, is sight and vision and language like that. In just six verses, it comes up again and again. Behold, gaze, look at, vision. Follow his eyes. See, here's the thing. You... You, you can learn a whole lot about somebody's heart by where they direct their gaze, right? Jesus said that, didn't he? You remember this? He said, the eye is the window to the soul. And I'm not just talking about in moral ways. We know that's true. I'm saying, what is it that captures your attention and what does not? I remember my first year at Virginia Tech. Brand new student, first semester. One of the classes I had was like American government. And, and they held it in a movie theater. There were only two things I remember about that class. The first was the smell of Carol Lee donuts when I walked by. Just want to suck me in there. They're like, oh, they, they literally pumped the smell out. It was unbelievable. The second is where the professor directed his eyes. He taught Tuesday, Thursday, an hour and a half. He taught an entire semester. And not once, I believe, did he actually look us in the eye. Which was pretty amazing because he, he spoke in this theater, right? So it is a lot more slope than this. So he had to work pretty hard not to see us. He looked over our heads. He looked beyond us. It was almost as if he wished he weren't even there. I don't even remember his name. Then I remember a Sunday. It, it's one of those rare Sundays for a minister. Because most of the time I don't get to ride in the car with our whole family. We just know that's the way it is. But for some reason, I don't even remember why. It was some years ago. We were driving on church all together. And, and I was talking. I'm sure I was giving her some 
spellbinding summary of the day sermon, right? And my wife wasn't looking at me at all. <laughs> She's looking right over my head. She's looking beyond me. As we were sitting at a traffic light, for 30 seconds, it was all we were there, but for 30 seconds, she was looking in the eye of the man who was selling a newspaper, a homeless man selling a newspaper. In Nashville, they have a really cool thing where you actually can have a job selling newspapers and you make and you build up a business. And so she was doing not just that morning, she was doing what she did every time she stopped at that stoplight. She looked him in the eye, she bought a newspaper and gave him dignity. His name is John. You can tell a lot about a person from where they direct their eyes. Follow Moses' eyes. It moves in the story. Where does Moses begin? Uh, the text says it this way. He starts by looking, and he's starting by looking at God. It says, the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire, and Moses says, I'm going to go over and see this. Moses starts by looking at God, or at least where God is showing up in that moment. And I picture him showing up kind of like we show up at the beginning of things with all of his expectations. I picture him coming up and he's looking for God and maybe he's thinking, all right, what dazzling thing are you going to do? God's fire. I've heard about God's fire. He's heard the stories growing up. What do we got going on here? And just at the moment, he's full of all of his expectations. The voice of God thunders and says, stop, take off your shoes, which you did in that era in temples, because the place where you're standing is sacred space. And in that moment, an ordinary bush became an altar and a desolate wasteland became a sanctuary. And that's precisely when Moses changes where he's looking. Do you see what happens at the end of the story? What does he do? He turns away and hides his face. Now, don't miss that simple detail, it's really powerful. I think that's the posture for the beginning of a new year. I think that's a posture for the beginning of our 101st year as a church. I think that's a posture for a beginning of anything new. I know this sounds weird, but go with me here. Moses, before he sees God, before he gets the most personal name that God will ever give, we don't even get to that story, before he gets the mission of God, he doesn't think he can do. The first thing he does is look away from God. What do you do with that? He actually turns away from God. And I think there's something there to say, I'm coming and I'm bringing all my expectations, but hold on, I'm going to let them go and I'm going to turn away and I'm going to let you be God. And I'm going to let you tell me your name. And I'm even going to let you tell me who I am. We'll talk about this more some other time because there's, there's a lot of depth in this, but let me just tease this out for this moment. This particular moment in scripture is one of the reasons why throughout Christian history, people have seen Moses as a symbol and model of what Christians call the way of unknowing. Hang with me for a minute. Unknowing. What does that mean? Especially for churches like ours that have been around for a long time and, and it's great, like we figure God out and we tell about God and we teach about God. All that's great. But throughout Christian history, people like Thomas Aquinas and Gregory of Nyssa and all the way back to Moses says, you start knowing God by knowing who God is not before you know who he is. And let me tell you the most important thing I need to do at the beginning of the new year. You know who God is not? God is not the God of my expectations. 
He is not the God of my expectations. So before I go to him and get what he wants to give me, I have to turn away and say, okay, not my picture of you. And in this moment, that's exactly what God does. Can we learn from Moses where to direct our eyes? I want to share with you one of my favorite examples of what this looks like. My last sermon that I gave in Tennessee, I spoke about this man and I wanted to share about him here in my first one here. His name's Gene, Gene Hatcher. Pretty sure, because he's probably watching Gene. I think it was December 15th. He turned 95 years old. Um, I might, I've told some of you about him before. This is a picture of our, our Bible class. And I, I told Gene when I first started, you are my co-teacher and anytime you want it, you've got the floor. And I meant it. He's got so much wisdom. And one time he literally took, he said, you, you said that. I'm like, come on. And I stepped back here and he sat down and taught. It was so powerful. But here's the thing. About a year ago or so, he did not plan or expect to go to an assisted living center with his wife where they're living today. He didn't plan that. He didn't expect that. For decades and decades and decades, he's lived with his bride in the house that he's been in. He didn't plan it. He didn't expect it. That wasn't his, his map for his journey at that time. The last time I went to see him, it was so powerful. He, he pulled out his phone. It was so cool. This 95-year-old guy, he's just rolling through his photos, man. And he pulled up a picture of him, and I think it was a six-year-old boy, and they shared the same birthday. And he said, couple weeks, I'm going to turn 95, and he's going to turn six. <laughs> Great-grandson of one of, the, uh, one of the residents there. And I heard stories about how when new residents would come in, and, they, you know, their whole world has been turned upside down, and he would welcome them, and he would invite them in, and he would care for them. And then when people would drop off their loved ones, he would talk to them, and he would take care of them. And do you know what the last thing he did is before I, I left that day? I love you, Jeannie, if you're watching. He prayed for me. He prayed for my wife. And listen to me. He prayed for you. He prayed for you. And do you know what happened in that moment? An assisted living center became a shrine to the faithful presence and power and guidance of God. And a 95-year-old man became a minister and a priest and a prophet and a pastor for you and for me and for everybody in that place. Here's what I can tell you. God isn't finished starting fires. God still starts fires in unlikely places and uses unlikely people if they're only willing to surrender their expectations to him and let him lead the way. That is our prayer, Father God. As we go into our 101st year, it's not our 101st year, it's yours. With all the visions we might have, I'll just say it for me, all the visions I might have, literally get on my knees, give them to you. We say, would you start the fire? Would you go forward in front of us? Would you take the most unbelievable, unlikely, insane places and make them the places of sacred meeting between you and your people? And use us, unlikely people like Moses, to carry out your mission, not ours, in the world. In the glorious, resurrected name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.